Ben's and First Friday brings you another jam-packed art crawl. Join BFF Friday, April 5th for the April 1st Friday event. Enjoy art displays, live music, food and drink specials, and the Bon Voyage dance party at the Maymo at 10 p.m. During April 1st Friday, BFF is organizing another Big Benson effort to direct funds toward the flood victims. Relief efforts will be directed toward the Ponca Tribe of Nebraska. Visit Benson First Friday's Facebook page to find out where to find a donation jar. Several businesses including Jake's Cigars, St. Andrew's Pub, Beercade, The Sydney, 1912, Burks, and Benson Brewery will be donating a portion of the sales to those in need. Benson First Friday doesn't exist without your support. See you there. And welcome back to Riverside Chats. I'm Tom Noblock. This is our first episode being recorded at Benson First Friday, who is our new sponsor. This is very exciting to actually have a space. We've recorded podcasts in all kinds of weird places over time. And we, though we always have the equipment, we don't always have a spot that's quiet and we can just be there. And not only that, we're here and I've got an open window right next to me, which is amazing because it's not, I guess, more because it's not like 10 degrees out, not necessarily because I'm not around windows normally. But today we have a very special guest who I know I say that every single week, but it's true every week. That's part of it. I mean, I guess that's the whole thing with the show, right? We wouldn't have a show if we didn't have very special guests. Today's guest did things that I didn't even know about that are really cool that I think you might not know about either, but once you listen to the episode, hopefully that will become clear to you. My guest is Abigail C.K. Lill. So she is a playwright. She's directed a short film. She does all kinds of editing services. She's got a company for that. And on top of that, she's currently developing the equivalent of the Bechtel test for people with disabilities in the arts. I didn't know that last part at all. Otherwise, that would have been probably one of the things I'd lead with. Instead, we sort of tell the whole story, and then we eventually get to how she got to be involved with that and what people can learn about that. I've certainly been someone who is interested in representation. It hasn't always worked out because we usually work with sort of limited resources. But, I mean, like if you've watched our movies, it's important to me that we don't only tell stories about dudes. I remember we made the movie Adaptation, and it was like, I am so kind of tired of watching stories about the man-child white guy. And it's like, well, why don't we try to do something a little bit different? And so we've tried to mix it up. And I think that there's sort of this, there's this tension that people have between it's like, I maybe want to do the right thing, but I don't want to offend people by trying to do the right thing because there's that subset of people who will pick on anybody for even trying, even if they don't get it right. And that bothers me. So really what you need to know is sort of like, what do people actually get offended by? What's actually a way that you can sort of try to include somebody, a way that you can try to do it in a way that is helpful, that moves things in the right direction. And it turns out that Abigail is creating a way for you to do that, which is incredibly cool, on top of the fact that she's making her own art and trying to push something that not a lot of people know anything about or trying to do anything about or that there's many resources out there for already. I think it's, you know, uh, the entertainment industry, it's no secret that representation has been pretty terrible uh, throughout the entire history of sort of like Western entertainment. And to some extent we're trying to get better about that to some extent people still just don't really care because a lot of the people who there's a tradition of it being a white man's culture and those are a lot of the people who are making things and so even as somebody if you are white working in it you got to try to do something else you got to i mean it's 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 as simple as just you don't want to tell the same stale story so you have to sort of branch out to some extent you want to write what you know but you can control what you know and that's kind of the whole point. That's what Abigail's trying to do here. So in addition to making her own plays, she's trying to create those resources. So what you know expands and then what you can write expands as well to something that is more inclusive. That's more interesting. That's unique. 
that's not the same story you've seen 500 times before. So with that, uh, I think we should probably just get into the conversation. Abigail has a new play that is premiering this week at the Apollon called Rumors in the Kitchen, to which a portion of sales are going to support victims of the floods in Nebraska. So definitely a good cause beyond just being a cool show you can go to. So tickets are available for that now. Please check that out. Please check out Abigail. She's got her own site. She talks about some of that in the episode. And please enjoy my conversation with Abigail C.K. Little. So, you are a playwright. Yes. And you've done all kinds of other creative things. Yeah. You're an editor. You've directed a short movie. There's uh-huh. probably tons of stuff I don't even know about. Let's start with the beginning. Uh, how did you, first of all, get interested in doing artistic things? Um, so, I've been artistic, you know, kind of ever since a young age. But I got into theater in high school. And um, I was always kind of like a shy kid. Uh, and then when I joined theater... Uh, I kind of broke out of my shell, which is really cool. And then I realized, oh, like I can do this. This is fun. So I, I did theater in high school, you know, like a lot of us did. And then um, I wanted to get into directing because I liked being behind the scenes rather than being on stage. Um, which and, shows have you done? Like starting out? Like directing or? or no, in? just even acting. So like you get in, was it just auditioning for a play randomly in high school? Yeah, yeah, pretty much. So, I mean, I did musicals and plays. Uh, I mean, everybody in the world does Grease. So I did that one. Were you a fan uh, of the movie? <laughs> you know, no. No? And no, I'm not, actually. Um, uh, but um, I did other shows too. Uh, you know, Gilbert and Sullivan shows. Um Beauty and the Beast, all that kind of the musicals and stuff. Then I did The Sting. Um, and so then broad, pretty broad range of shows. Very yeah. broad range. Yeah, yeah. But then as I got like more like acquainted with the theater, I found that I loved plays more. Just straight plays, like no fancy musicals or singing of any kind. Um, so uh, when I got into directing in college, um, in my summer of my, like after my freshman year, I needed to take a... English course. So I went to my community college in Ankeny, Iowa, and I took playwriting. So are you, are you from Iowa then? Yeah, yeah. I'm okay. from a little village called Kelly, Iowa. So probably not a whole lot of like people moving into the entertainment industry from there, right? No, no, no. no I think they're all still there. Yeah, um, except you. <laughs> except you made me. it out. Yeah, yeah. So uh, I went to college in Des Moines uh, and then took that class in Ankeny. And it was a playwriting class, and I fell in love with it, like, right away. Um, I felt like I could vocalize the things I needed to say, the things I wanted to say on paper, and I thought that was really cool. And you said you were kind of, like, you became more outgoing and confident over the course of doing, like, plays and things? Absolutely, yeah. So before that, were you a shy kid? I mean, like, were you, had you done any acting up until that point or like been in front of people? Did you have stage fright? Were you one of the kids where it's like, I'm terrified to even be around, like in front of the class? Like I was just super shy to like voice my opinion. I didn't like, I think I just didn't want to be judged, you know, like a lot of us. Um, You know, but strangely enough, I still have stage fright. Uh, But now like since... You can be behind the scenes though. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, like right now I'm doing great. Right, yeah. um, Yeah, so... um, uh, yeah, I still had the stage fright, but I felt like directing, I could tell actors what to do. And well, um, You have to get over even stage fright with your cast and stuff, though, right? Don't you? I mean, to some extent, not, it's not directly stage fright, but it's like, 
I could still say something stupid to them and like maybe they know what they're doing more than I do, right? Was that something for you or was it like immediately you're like, nah, I know what's right. Well, like, figure it out. yeah, sort of in a way, you know, because it's kind of like public speaking every day at rehearsal. Mm-hmm. But the thing is like, you know, I love actors, but um, actors think the director's kind of like God. <laughs> so like you tell them whatever hopefully. you need. Well, yeah, hopefully, yeah. hopefully in most cases. Um, but so you know, you tell them what you need them to do and, and most of the time they'll do it and they respect you for it. And as long as there's that mutual respect, I mean, it works out fine. And so you, what was the first experience you had directing? Um, it would have been in undergrad. Uh, I directed, um, a couple of 10 minute plays. Um, John Patrick Shanley plays, uh, he wrote, Doubt, a very mm-hmm. famous play, um, but I love his short plays, and so uh, I directed a couple of those first, and so then. What was that like in an intro to theater class or directing class or something like that? Uh, so actually, as a directing major, we were required to direct shows. That makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you so, probably should. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, yeah. if you're getting a degree and all. Right. Uh, yeah. So those uh, were the first things I directed, and then my senior capstone was a full-length play by Neil Simon. Was that daunting for you, going after these uh, like very esteemed, famous playwrights and trying to put your stamp on it? Or I guess everybody does that in the theater, the theater world, don't they? Yeah, you have to do it eventually, uh, unless of course you work for a theater that does um, like original plays, of right. course. But yeah, it's really cool to uh, direct plays that are written by like super famous people. You know, that have a huge voice in the world, and uh, it's fun to put your own spin on it and interpret it in your own way. I've never like. I haven't really directed plays much. I, did, I took an intro to theater class when I was in college too. So we had to direct a one act and mm-hmm. I wrote my own because I've never directed anything I haven't written. So like oh. for me, it's, it's a weird idea because I'm so, I'm so used to my own voice that mm-hmm. I don't know how well it would translate to somebody else's ideas. But like for you, were you writing at the time and just like trying to develop as a writer, but then a director, you didn't need to direct stuff that you'd actually written at that point. Uh, so I was kind of doing both. Um, it was cool because as a playwright, I was I, I knew what the director needed from me to interpret what I wanted them to say, if that makes sense. Sure. So that was kind of like a blessing and a curse because as a writer, you're supposed to give the director, let them have their own discretion, let the actors do what they need to do. But when I'm writing I'm writing all those stage directions, like in depth, like right. do this, do this, do this. No, you're not supposed to do that. So that was kind of a challenge for me uh, as a writer. And then when I was directing, um, and writing at the same time, I was trying to analyze the writer and direct. So, I mean, yeah, it was awesome, but also had its fallbacks, too. Do you think, in general, playwrights should not direct their own shows? I don't know. That's kind of a little question. Yeah. Um, I've heard varying opinions from people. I mean, like, generally, it seems like theater people don't like the idea of the director also being the writer. Yeah, I mean... I've been in shows that I've written before. I think, you know, as a playwright, you're supposed to hand it off to somebody. You're supposed to trust the next step. Because if you don't, if you don't hand it off, then what's the point of really writing something? Like, Well, then you just have complete control. And if you're a control true. freak, then that's what you want. <laughs> and that's, that's totally cool. That's totally cool. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so you're on board with that. If someone really wants to, or do you, do you think it's better if you hand it off to somebody? Does that improve the overall product? I don't know. I think it could go both ways. I think, you know, if you really want it to get out into the world as a play, as a play, and you want it to go like, you know, nationally or even internationally, it's really important to hand it off to somebody to let them interpret it. Mm -hmm. Um, No, screenwriting, that's a different thing. And 
um, you know, even doing something locally, I would say that's different too. Well, so and then you've done some screenwriting. Oh yeah. And so with racist cannibal, is that the first thing that you had directed or even the first thing you wrote that turned into a movie of some yes. sort? Okay. Yes. But there, well, there wasn't the same temptation to say, let's, let's someone else interpret this. You want, you knew, did you know right away when you wrote that? Okay. I'm going to be in charge of this. I'm going to direct it. I had no idea I was going to direct it actually. Oh, okay. No, but, uh, that was a really, really cool experience. Um, that was a pretty much the real first time I got to direct something that I wrote. And, um, you know, I had a cast and the crew was awesome. Um, so when I was directing it and I was reading my writing, I'm like, Oh, well, um, that, that's not how I wanted to come off, but all right, let's, let's, let's just go with the flow. So that was a really cool experience. Did you modify anything on set? Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like lines? Uh, sort of. Yeah. Yeah, the lines were interpreted differently than I had originally thought, but uh, that was cool. It worked. Yeah. And yeah. I thought it was a great ending product. It is. Yeah. No, it definitely is. And it's got a very fun flow to it in general. And I, you know, like it took me a little bit to figure out how to make a flow work in terms of like when you're writing something and then you even you read the script, the flow is easier, I think, to understand sometimes than when you're actually directing it. And it's like, okay, now I'm in charge of figuring out how fast they say certain lines or what the, when the pauses might be or anything else. And I tend to overwrite and I, I never think I'm overwriting until I get to set. And then it's like, there's way too much explaining of yeah. everything when <laughs> yeah. we get here. I need to cut out like 10% of this immediately. Yeah. Um, and so like for me, I don't know. I've found that I, I think of myself as like, I write these meticulous scripts and we shoot the script, but then we've talked to actors and they're like, yeah, you don't really stick to the script when we get to set. So it's like, we just mess it all up when we get there. And I'm always like, I don't know if we actually do that. But I mean, like to me, film is weird where it's like, to some extent, directing is its own form of writing. And I guess that's probably true with plays, right? I mean, if you're reinterpreting it, some people are able to just interpret what they wrote and they're able to write it knowing what it needs to look like in the end result. For me, it's always this evolution. I'm curious for you, I mean, were you able to, do you think that the, the finished product looks like what you imagined enough to be like, yeah, I can, I can, I, this is what I anticipated it being when I was writing that script. Uh, as far as like when I do plays and stuff like that. Well, just, yeah, plays or even racist cannibal. Like, is that what you think you, is that what you wrote? What the movie is or did it change enough that it's like, I don't know, it evolved pretty significantly uh, by the time we filmed it. Yeah, it did evolve. Uh, racist cannibal did yeah. definitely, uh, in I loved I love the end product, but you know, reading it is a lot different, right? Um, and and writing it, of course. Um, but you know, even when you're directing your own piece of work, your interpretation of it changes over time. So that's the annoying thing to me. Yeah. It's like if I I feel like if somehow I was able to do it all in a day, like have the idea, yes. write it, direct it, it'd be like this is amazing. And somehow it's like by the time I get to even directing anything, it's at least a year after I had the original idea, and it's like I'm a different person almost at that point. Yeah. And that's uncontrollable. Oh, totally. That's why like 48 hour film festival is so cool because you know you write everything in 48 hours. You get the idea, write it, and direct it put it out there in 48 hours, which right. is like really, really great. But like you said, you know, I wrote racist cannibal, I think like six or seven months before we, we put it out there and you know, life changes. Like mm -hmm. you go through different experiences and, uh, yeah, your interpretation changes and that's, that's fine. So, um, you, you're, you're, you seem like you, you accept the change better than I do. I'm always oh, annoyed really? the whole process. <laughs> I feel yeah. like, yeah. um, well, so anyway, so you, 
when you decided to get your degree, did you, you got a degree in directing? Was was there pushback at all? I mean, like coming from a family where I mean, was your family into the arts in general? It sounds like the town maybe wasn't. Uh, well, <laughs> um, yeah, my well, my family is very supportive in mm-hmm. everything I do, and uh, you you know, but being told that your fourth and final child is going into theater. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I never really asked my parents what they thought about that. But Probably smart. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Less chance for rejection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even like the support, but it's like not complete support. You know, it's like, well, that's that's what you want to do. You yeah, know, like, soar, go for your dreams. <laughs> and, and they did that, you know. Um, but I had plans. I And um, there were things I wanted to do. And, you know, plans change over time. And I've done things that I've... I originally went into school for, um, but other things have changed in that school. So, uh, yeah, my family was great about it and they're still supportive of what I do in the arts, which is great. Now you've gotten, you know, you've done some things. It's always the worst is like when you're younger and you haven't proven yourself in any way at all. Yeah. And you're like, yeah, I want to do, I want to like be a director or whatever. And they're like, yeah, okay. I mean, good, good luck. You know, <laughs> yeah. I hope it goes well. Yeah. yeah bye. <laughs> so when you got the directing degree then, so you did Neil Simon as the capstone, as yeah. I said. Okay. How'd that go? It was awesome. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, everybody loves a Neil Simon show. I mean, everything from the odd couple to, you know, all the other things he did, he's well known. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of people attended it's the sold out shows every night, which was really great. Um, but I really loved interpreting his plays. Um, cause you know, he, did, he writes comedy mm-hmm. and, uh, just figuring out where those, uh, those pauses needed to be happening and uh, just working with actors is just an awesome experience. Is that something you figure out once you have your cast or are you already figuring out your interpretation as you're getting ready to even cast it? Pretty much as you're, um, as you're getting ready to cast it. Okay. How do you do that? What's your process? Oh my gosh. Um, well you read the play, um, and then you figure out, you know, everything that you need and, as you analyze each character, you find out, all right, well, like, I want this and this. I don't want this. This is what they kind of should look like. And if they're a married couple, like, what are their personalities like? Even though it's written down on paper, you want your actors to analyze those characters a certain way. And so you had the resources, I assume, for, like, costumes and set to some extent? Or was it, like, really bare bones? Um, no. So I did have uh, costumes and set. Uh, I had lighting designers and scene okay. designers, so it was really cool. Yeah. Um, uh, you could actually have a vision and like express it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Now I couldn't have like like fire on stage or anything well, like that, right? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I just needed pretty much a minimalist stage, just a living room mm-hmm. and some doors, and um, you know, doing it that way made it a lot easier for my my uh, department to do. Sure. Yeah. So well, that was really sweet. And so you cast it. It went well. Were there like roadblocks along the way where things <laughs> got bad at some point and you had to overcome it? Um, I mean, not like bad, um, but I was directing my show at the same time uh, one of my colleagues was doing her capstone. So we had to share um, rehearsal space, which was kind of difficult because hers was like like a serial comic show and mine was a Neil Simon show. So like we're super, super loud and she's like trying to be like all serious <laughs> a room away. So that was like a little difficult uh, during the rehearsal process. But then um, I think it was a couple days before we opened one of my characters uh, broke her arm somehow. And so we had to roll with that right. um, in the show, which it worked out fine. Um, was that like one of the first times where you just had to make that kind of modification or had there been things like that along the way? No, I mean, 
you know, they were all students. My actors were. Sure, yeah. And so everybody was, you know, kind of doing this because it was required of them. And but they were so also they're, like they're stuck. They're doing it. They're yeah, going to drop out. You know, they have no yeah. ch- no choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's helpful. So, yeah, it is helpful. And, you know, they were all great people. Um, but as far as like my actor breaking her arm, I, I she walked into rehearsal with her arm in a sling. And I'm like, well. Let's create some backstory if anybody asks a question, <laughs> you know, and we rolled with it. I mean, yeah, that was probably the biggest fiasco, I guess, but it was fine. And so was it received well? Did everyone like it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's nice. Yeah. Was that scary for you that first night you're sitting there and the people are there? I assume there's a little bit of an audience at least, right? Was it, did they have it set up so like people not involved with the major or anything would come watch it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It was just a little black box theater. So it fit like 150 people nice. and it, yeah, but as a director, uh, I don't sit in on my shows. Oh. So I direct it and I'm like, good luck. Not even just to freak out about everything. I can freak out in the yeah. hallway. Well, sure. You're going to yeah. freak out regardless. I think. <laughs> yeah. Or in the yeah. sound booth or what do whatever. You do? What do you do during the show? I sit there, um, with my legs crossed and my, with my head in my hand. Just have a headache for yeah. a couple hours. <laughs> yeah. So I sit there and I'm like, all right, well, they're supposed to laugh here at the next line. And <laughs> if they don't laugh, I'm like, all right, <laughs> that didn't work out, but whatever, you know, and so uh, you, you're listening to it though. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Have you yeah. ever been tempted just to like go across the street? Go, go to the bar across yeah, just the like, street. All right. oh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. But no, no, I try not to pull myself away too far <laughs> just in case, you know, something happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, could you even do anything? Like if something happens, like what would that be? What could it be where you could go solve it in the middle of the show? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, if uh, a character, uh, I, I don't know, had a panic attack on stage and had to get off stage, I guess I could step in if I needed to. You just run as a new character. And <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Oh, sorry I'm late, everybody. <laughs> yeah, here I am. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So you got the degree, mm-hmm. and then what? Okay, so uh, soon after I graduated, I graduated in May 2011, and okay. then in July, uh, I got married. Okay. Yeah, so... That's cool. Yeah, yeah it's great. Um, so soon after we got married, about a year later, we had our first kid, and uh, started working in management. Because it's like life has to happen too. We can't just be shows necessarily. Yeah. And especially living in, oh, we lived in Des Moines at the time for several years. And at the time, theater wasn't as prominent as it is now there. And so there weren't many jobs unless you worked at the big theater there. And so. What's the, is the big theater like a community playhouse or what's, what's the, even? I don't know anything about the Des Moines theater. (laughs) No, it's okay. Um, so the big one is the civic center and that's where they have like touring Broadway shows come. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then. The other big one at the time was the Des Moines Playhouse, and it's still huge. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, jobs in the theater are few and far between, even in larger cities like Omaha. Right. So, um, Were you trying to get some kind of directing thing, or is it like, I'll take whatever you have if there's anything available? Or were you just like, eh, I don't need this right now? Um, so I was kind of just moving along with family life for a little while. Um, but I was working with the Iowa Shakespeare Company um, okay. a little bit and some other like little tiny theater groups as are you, well. Are you big into Shakespeare? Yeah. So in undergrad, uh, we kind of had the opportunity to um, concentrate on a couple areas, and mine were Shakespeare and contemporary drama. Okay. So yeah. Shakespeare is hard for people who aren't already into Shakespeare to get into it. <laughs> yeah. What was it that sold you on Shakespeare? Um, I believe his sonnets. I just thought they were really beautiful. Um, and he just wrote so much. Um, and 
you know, just the poetry in it all was just fascinating to me. And almost analyzing what he had to say, too. It was like a science almost. It's like a second language. So you, you like the challenge of it to some extent. Yeah. And some satisfaction and like, I get it. I understand it. Yeah. Okay. That yeah. makes sense. And so, okay, so you did Shakespeare. Were you like part of, were you acting at that point or was it behind the scenes? When behind you were, the scenes still. Okay. Mm-hmm. Were you directing shows? Mm-hmm. Which ones did you direct? Um, I helped with Romeo and Juliet, of course, and then Titus Andronicus as well. Which one did you enjoy doing more? <laughs> I mean, Titus is fun. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but there's something about Romeo and Juliet that's just like... Again, it's the language. It's just beautiful. And I really like that one a lot. I've always thought I can get into Shakespeare. Romeo and Juliet, they annoy me. I think it's the age. I have very little patience for like kids that age. Like, how do you know you're in love? You're 14. Yeah, it's like, get yeah. over yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you don't have that problem. You're okay with it. You're good with it. Oh yeah, yeah. Long, young love is fun. Yeah, why not? What they die though. It's not that fun in that specific context. Well, you know, eh. all is well that ends well, right? Uh, kind of. Well, sort of. Yeah. So then, was there a point where you're like, I don't know? I mean, was it always something where you're like, I'm always going to find time for theater, or were there times where you're like, I don't know if it's worth the hassle and it's hard to get a job, or where were you with all of it? Well, like. That passion was always there. So mm-hmm. although I was working in management um, and actually working at the same university that I went to. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it was cool. So I always kind of had that like college feel. That was kind of nice. But I would still go to shows all the time, you know, at the Civic Center at that big um, theater. And so every time I went to a show, like the passion was just like ignited a little bit inside me. And I, I always thought, all right, I want to get I want to go back to school for theater somehow in some way. And that was, was that kind of my goal. Because that forces you to focus on it for a sustained period of time? Or was it specifically because it would open new doors for you? Go, going back to school? Yeah. I wanted to just keep going. I love I love school. I love like continuing education and just learning. I love it so much. And I knew there was a lot more to learn. And um, I knew that was kind of the end game for me. So is that, I mean, so you got the MFA, right? That's where this is leading? Yeah. Okay. What's the story of that? Uh, so um, I just had a want to go get my master's degree. We, we moved to Omaha back in 2000, 2015 in the summer. And my husband was going to UNMC and he was doing all this learning. And I'm like, I want to I learn too. <laughs> like, come on, man. And so I knew I wanted to get my master's and I wanted it to be centered around theater of some sort. Either it be directing or, or writing. Okay. Because I loved it and I continued to write. Well, it's, what had you been writing in that time? I feel like we've kind of focused more on directing. So what, oh, what's, yeah. what's the story of you becoming a writer and finding a voice as a writer? Uh, so, you know, I started when I was about 19 doing that playwriting stuff. And I continued through undergrad and after graduating. I was writing mostly like one-act plays and kind of in the Neil Simon-esque did you ever uh, try to do poetry since you like sonnets and things? Was it ever like, was it always plays or I guess was it broader than that at some so point? So I feel like like poetry is like really cool to me i don't i don't understand it like i love reading it i love sonnets but i don't understand how people can write poetry like i am like amazed by them yeah well have you ever sat down and tried to write a poem absolutely and it's garbage yeah i know yeah it's like yeah. every time you're like this is so dumb <laughs> yeah, yeah like why do people i am not enlightening anyone right now yeah, yeah like um yeah. So, but did you try even like short stories? Was there ever an attempt to do prose or anything else? Short stories, like a little bit, like yeah. essays. Um, and, and what about it, reviews of plays? Yeah. Okay. So that's kind of fun for me. Yeah. Um, because I feel like reviews, you can pretty much say whatever you want. Right? You can be so snobby too, and it's 
And it's totally, it's like the only thing you can do. Yeah, absolutely. And it's cool because you can write reviews in your own voice. Right. Like, you know, your, your, uh, your personality comes out and that's, that's fun. I found that's that fun. is helpful for trying to develop what your writer's voice is actually like. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if I have to passionately take a stand on something, I have to figure out how do I express myself that way. And then you can sort of branch off from there. Did you ever try to do like, was the writing of reviews for plays? Was that ever something like that was getting published somewhere? Was it just for you? Social media is a great way to just like throw that stuff out there. Yeah. now the social media has become like a huge thing in our world. Like, yeah, I've, I've thrown stuff out there. I had a blog at one point right? and yeah. you know, I kind of, I shared it to people who I wanted to read it, but, um, I didn't really want that to be published because, uh, I don't, I wasn't ready for my voice to be heard in a review, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah. So what did it take for you to want your voice to be heard? Like, or have you ever gotten to that point? Do you still do reviews at all? Um, not so much reviews, but I ha- my my voice is now put into my place. Right. So that, I mean, that seems like the main way you want to express yourself. Right. What was the journey of learning how to effectively express yourself through plays, though? So you started at 19, you said? Yeah. Was it like, you know, I feel like for me, when I started writing screenplays, they were bad. And I wrote bad screenplays for a long time. But it was like, that was a great experience, but it's oh, yeah. like... Yeah, if I were to go back and read those, they're terrible. And it's like, okay, whatever. I'm kind of figuring it out. Yeah. Is it something like that for you? Oh, definitely. Yeah. So when I was like younger, I wanted to make people laugh. And that's all I cared about. Uh, I wanted to make people smile and kind of forget about life when they were in the theater. Um, but when you, you know, you progress in your writing technique and you go to school for it and you have more like life experience, your, your plays change a lot, um, from technique to what you want to write about. And so, um, especially when I started my grad program and I was kind of in the same mindset, I'm like, I want to make people laugh. And then I was like continuing on in school. I'm like, I, I don't want to just make people laugh. I want to tell people something. I want to tell people what I think is important. And if, you know, it gets produced, which, you know, we all want it to happen. Uh, I can, I can, have people listen to it and maybe they can leave the theater with a little bit more enlightenment than they came in with. So do you try to bundle that with laughs though? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's kind of my theory in terms of movies has been, we can kind of get away with whatever we want so long as there's enough laughs along the way. Mm-hmm. Cause then you can sort of talk about any topic. You can go anywhere, throw anything at the audience. Yeah. If they're laughing, even if they don't really respond to what you're trying to say, they still might not think it's a complete waste of their time. Yeah, exactly. That's my cynical way of expressing no, that though. That's beautiful. beautiful <laughs> oh, oh, thanks. Thank yes. you. So, had you written fe- like full length plays or were they one acts? Mm-hmm. Um, so, throughout undergrad, had you written those? And, Full length, not so much. Okay. Um, you just didn't feel ready for it at that point? or Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, full length plays can go, um, th- you know, depending on how many characters you have, between like 60 and 120 pages. Right. And I mean, I get like sidetracked a lot. <laughs> like I get distracted. And so I wrote a lot of 10 minute plays mm-hmm. and I really enjoy that. Is your process at that point just like a burst of energy? Like I'm going to write this play today or this weekend? Or did you put a lot of time into like, I'm going to really create a process to figure out this 10 minute play? Um, So I really like just sitting down and doing it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Usually like, and this sounds crazy and people roll their eyes at it, but I really like just doing it in a day. And then if it needs editing or proofing or whatever, I can do that later. Right. But I like to sit down and just get all my ideas out there. And, you know, if I think about it too much or I take time to write it, like you said, like my interpretation changes and I don't want that to happen. I have my idea now and I want to get it out there. I think one of the worst things as a writer is 
you start with this burst of passion and energy. You get somewhat through a draft. And then, like, you're busy and maybe you don't go back to it for a couple months. And then it's like, well, I don't want to do that at all. And then it completely revamps. And then at some point yeah. you're like, I want to do the original thing again. Then you kind of go back. And then it's like just this back and forth. And then <laughs> who knows what it looks like at the end. Yeah, exactly. Um, what was the first one act that you were happy with? That you're like, okay, I did it. I figured out what I wanted to do here. So it was actually um, my entrance play into grad school. So you know, when you apply for grad schools, you have to do the application you have to send in your resume and all that stuff. And then you have to submit some sort of a play. Mm -hmm. And so I worked really hard on this one. It was called blot. It was a two character one act play. And, uh, it was, it was again, kind of like Neil Simon esque. Um, but I was really, I was really happy with it. Like, um, I feel like my characters were, were pretty solid and, and I enjoyed reading it. So I feel like that was successful that, I I didn't mind going back and reading stuff I had yeah. to say. None yeah. of that cringe of like, ugh. Like, oh, what was I thinking? This is <laughs> awful. Yeah. Well, was there a lot of pressure on you that you're like, I have to figure out how to do something great here because this is my grad school application? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a lot of pressure. How, how did you, did you channel that into what it was about or anything? Like, did was there like that tension and that scared element? Because I, I mean, like to me, writing always has to come from like, what tension am I feeling right now? I can kind of channel into whatever I'm working. Yeah. Do you work that way at all? Yeah, kind of. Like, again, I, you want to say something in your plays. Like, when I was writing this one, I'm like, must be funny <laughs> so people can read it and people laugh and get that, like, that feeling when they're reading it and they can remember me. So there, there was kind of that pressure on me a little bit. That sounds terrifying, though. Like, it was. To have the stakes on it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But hey, I got through it and <laughs> it I graduated. Worked. So woo. And yeah. so why choose to do the MFA in writing versus directing? Um, so MFA in writing, um, was a, a lot more plausible. Um, so a lot of, a lot of writing degrees, uh, master's degrees in writing, uh, are low residency nowadays. So a lot of grad programs believe that you don't have to be in the classroom in order to get your master's degree, which is really cool. So, uh, I applied to five low res programs throughout the United States and they all had residencies where you visited this campus twice a year and you workshopped your things. And then the other parts of the year you wrote at home and submitted your things online. So the traditional MFA is like pretty much all workshops all the time, right? Or just a ton of workshops, classroom work, yeah. lectures, you know, okay. like normal quote unquote normal sure. grad school. Yeah. Okay. And so this one you were able to just, you said you went twice the semester you would go workshop. Yep. Yep. So I went a total of five times during the two years I was in the program. Was it helpful? Yeah. 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 Um, that was the most enjoyable part of the MFA was to go, um, and you went twice a year for 10 days each time. And during that time you went to lectures, um, you went to readings, uh, plays, workshopping, everything. Well, so was that a lot of like, you would have some kind of draft and then people would give you comments on it in addition to sort of just general sort of like writing theory ideas yeah okay. so um there were several different genres it was uh writing for stage and screen which is what i did and then poetry fiction nonfiction, writing for young people and um there's another one i can't remember uh, yeah you know whatever <laughs> <Who cares? laughs> yeah. so we were all required our different genres to bring a certain amount of uh work to each residency uh and for us until your graduating semester you were supposed to bring in two uh, 10 minute plays to have workshops. So did you bring the one that you had, uh, sent in with your, uh, application? 
Yes, the okay. first residency I did. And then did you start writing a bunch of new stuff then at that point, or were you sort of digging through your backlog? It, uh, um, yeah, so we I, after I went to residency, that's when I started writing and writing and writing. Because once okay. you start your master's program, it's like that's all you do for two years. How was that, writing for two years? Like Just that commitment to it, was that helpful for you? Yeah, so you're like forced to write, which yeah. is kind of cool. And you know, when you're, when you're a writer not in school, you don't have... Like you don't really have deadlines unless right. you're doing a commission piece of work or you're trying to submit your stuff to your editor or whatever. And so you have to really rely on yourself mm-hmm. as a non-student. And so having that, that pressure, uh, from your, your mentors, your advisors uh, was really helpful, stressful, but helpful. And so, I mean, since you're somebody who you're attempt or like the way you write seems to be structured around like you have a burst of energy and you like to do it quickly yeah was that something you had to modify then to be able to write so much because like surely you don't have this burst of passion every single day yeah so uh it really depended on the homework that i had assigned at the time so um there was in my third semester i was supposed to write a full-length play in 60 days and so you know full-length play this particular one was about 110 pages by the end and you can't write 110 pages and, you know, that burst of energy, you, you know, it, it took, it took 60 days to write it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's hard because, you know, going back to it every couple days or every day, you know, after, you know, a long day or not getting enough sleep, it was difficult, but you know, it's really, it's really important to mm-hmm. learn, to learn how to do it that way. Are you happy with how that one turned out? That one, um, it's still in the drafting process. <laughs> so, so it's like you finish <laughs> something with it and you're like, I don't know. Yes. I'll figure I, it out. I have point. a second draft and is ready to go into the third, fourth and fifth. Okay. So yeah. nowhere near being done yet. No, okay. No, that's okay. Yeah. That's okay. Well, that's, that's kind of what I mean. Like even like when I started writing screenplays, it's like, if I'm finish them, finishing them, at least I'm learning a lot of things about how I like to structure stuff. I'm learning how to write, even if I don't like what I'm actually putting out there. Yeah. Movies, we have this unfortunate problem where it's like we make movies and it's kind of the same process. Like our first movie where we just locked ourselves in our cast at a cabin for uh, four days, mm-hmm. filmed the whole movie. Then it was like, okay, well, we, we made ourselves do something. It wasn't really that great. It didn't work out the way we'd wanted to. It's not even something we really want everyone to watch, but it's like... I don't know. Forcing yourself to do things is really helpful, I think. Yeah, definitely. Then at some point you have to like just like to do it though too. <laughs> oh like, yeah. When you force yourself to do it, you don't necessarily enjoy the process that much. Exactly. Yeah. If you don't have a passion for it, then there's no point. Yeah. Almost. Well, it's just like you get so deep into it at some point. You're like, you know, I'm going to finish it. I'm kind of mad about it. I resent yeah. this thing, but I'll, I'll get it done. Yeah. Joke's on you play. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so... How many other uh, full-length plays have you written? Uh, so I have about four under my belt right now. Okay. Yeah. And so how what's the story with all of those? One of, is one of them the one in the drawer still? Is that, are we counting that in the four? Yeah, that okay. counts. That okay. counts. Right. Um, yeah, so a couple of them are still like in the editing and draft process. Mm-hmm. One in particular I'm trying to get out there right now. What does that really mean? Hard. How do you do that? So there's, there's several different ways you can do it. Um, but the biggest way is to submit it to, um, festivals. And so you find festivals online and say, Hey, put this out there and you compete with thousands of other people to see if you can get that one slot. So these are like playwriting festivals Mm -hmm. where one gets selected to be produced. Um, yeah, there's different prizes. Um, some get stage readings, some get full production, some get full production, 
um, without costumes. Some come with prizes. Some come with cash. It all just depends on which festival you're doing it at. So what's this one you're workshopping or the one you're sending out then? Um, so this was actually my first full length that I wrote in uh, grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about a hoarder. And uh, it it's a family drama and deals with depression, anxiety, um, you know, pretty much any type of family drama you can think of. Um, and I, I really love it. It has a lot of um, um, back. It comes a lot from my background. So it, it's really important to me that I really want to get it out there. And uh, anything that has to do with um, social justice uh, is something that I'm really passionate about. So that is my main focus right now. So what's this one called? For a rainy day. For a rainy day. Okay. So. What's the, I mean, what's the log line? What's the pitch for it? So a hoarder, I assume, is in it? Yep, so it's okay. a hoarder. Um, so uh, I don't have the log line, um, but uh, so basically it's uh, two, um, a married couple, older couple that have two daughters and one of the daughters is getting married and basically the daughter that is getting married is forcing the mother who is the hoarder to end her hoarding um, antics before the marriage takes place and things just get to it. breaking points all over the place. Oh, there's so many breaking yeah. points. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's so many. Uh, so yeah, it's fun. Um, I would consider it a drama, but it does have those comedic elements in there. Um, did that you are- watch a lot of hoarders? the show yeah yeah a lot of research went into this one isn't that show terrifying yeah like i really want to clean my bathroom i know yeah i watch it i'm like am i a hoarder like i'm nowhere near i don't even have that much stuff but every time i watch that show i'm like i'm disgusting i feel i need to throw out everything do dishes yeah i gotta get rid of everything i own yeah exactly yeah the research for that was um terrifying but it helped so much how'd you settle on hoarding as the one of the dramatic conceits um so it's, it's not, like, although there is a show about hoarders, there isn't really a play about hoarders right now. So I feel like it was something that hasn't been touched on yet. And, you know, it could be. It definitely could be. And so, I mean, it so. seems like it's rich with sort of metaphors of not letting go of things, too. Yeah. I mean, you could do a lot with it, I would imagine. Which, uh-huh. Yeah, you're right. I haven't seen anyone really do that. Even, like, in movies, you don't see anything with that. So it's just yeah. a TV show that we all feel gross about, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so you've got that one, and then you've got what's the show? Okay, I don't know how to say it even Apollon, Apollon. What's the Apollon? Apollon. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah. What's the story with this show? Okay, so uh, they uh, came to me and asked if I would write the show. Oh, okay. Uh, this yeah. is like a commission. Sort it was of thing? commissioned. Okay. Yeah. Um, so I a little bit background with Apollon. So I wanted to get back into the theater industry uh, like about a year after we moved to Omaha. And so I found out that this little theater was having auditions, so I auditioned and got a part. And then it was a lot of fun, great people. And then a couple months after I was done with that show, they found out that I wrote, I write, and so they asked me to write uh, another show. And that was um, in, in verse, uh, in a Dr. Seuss style, and it was uh, very political. And so I wrote that one a couple years ago, and then they came to me again, and they're like, hey, Abby, do you want to write this show in Downton Abbey uh, form? And 
um, have it a small cast and we'll, it'll take place in our small space. And Who's, I said, yeah, this is just like management sure. there comes up with the basic for, like framing of a, sh- of a type of show and then they ask you for it or. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So, uh, they're grant based. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, when they write their grants, they have to have their shows kind of like prepped and ready to go to give to the grant committee. So they write their log lines for the shows and then they find writers to write those shows. Do they ever, I mean, try to like find a writer who has an idea beforehand? It seems like it's kind of, not maybe not a backwards way of doing it, but it's got to be kind of an unusual way to approach that. Um, you know, I don't know the answer to that. They may put out like calls for plays, um, but um, right now I believe they're just commissioning shows. Okay. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So again, yeah, cause like when I saw that you're doing the, the, what's the Downton Abbey one called again? It's rumors in the kitchen, rumors in the kitchen. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to say room service in the kitchen. I was like, I feel like I'm in the <laughs> ballpark, but that's oh. definitely not right. Yeah. <laughs> it's close enough. Same thing. <laughs> so did they have the, like they have the title Downton Abbey. So are you a Downton Abbey fan even? Uh, no. So, okay. <laughs> so it was like, okay, I think I can get in the mindset of all this. Like you're like, ah, I'll take the challenge. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, so it was this one and another show that they asked me to write that actually, um, they didn't end up doing. Um, that one was, was, uh, based on Firefly, the show Firefly. So I had to, that's the sci-fi Joss Whedon one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it was actually really good. So, um, I, I, uh, had like kind of like dabbled in Firefly, but I never really was like too into it. So I had to watch that entire series before I wrote that show. And so that's what I did with this one as well. There's Watched. a lot more Downton Abbey than Firefly, isn't there? Yeah, 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 unfortunately. It's like several years. Did you like it? Which one? Downton Abbey. Yeah, it was good. Mm-hmm. It was good. Seemed a little tentative. Yeah, yeah. yeah you know, it's good. <laughs> it's good. But, you know, that that really helped when I was writing this piece. So, I, well, so what what was it that they had? They just say something, something kind of like Downton Abbey? Yeah, sort of. And so you're like, okay, I kind of have, I have a lot of breathing room here. Mm-hmm. What interests me about the world or what can, what can I contrive here that's sort of related to it or what's the process? Yeah. So, um, they gave me, they gave me the log line of what it needed to be. So I, I then I watched the show and, and like you said, like found things I liked about the show. And what then, were some of those things? Oh, just like, just like the dry humor was like a big thing for me and I really connected with that. So, um, I implemented that in the show and we wanted it to take place in the kitchen, um, below the manor of this, you know, this wealthy family's house. And so, uh, it was a lot of hush, hush talk and like, like in the title it's rumors. And Mm. so it was kind of fun, like having the audience know some secrets that were going on throughout the cast. And and did you ever watch the was it uh gosford park oh it's the altman version i think it's the same writer as down Abbey. i yeah you know what years ago yeah. years ago because that one's more centered around the servants and the people working for the rich people right yeah okay. yeah absolutely i wonder if that might be if that would have been helpful for you because like was the idea originally that it was always going to not be necessarily about the the people being served so much as the servers it, yeah, it was going to be just about the servers and the things that are maybe going on upstairs. Okay. Yeah. So then you have to make that personal though, right? Yeah. So how'd, how'd, well, how'd you do that? What was that? What does that look like? Like putting my personality into it? Yeah, or, or just like coming up with, okay, how does the story or the like the energy of it reflect something I really care about and even want to write about, right? Because you have to find that somehow. Yeah, yeah. So, um like, you know, I had mentioned years, years ago, I just wanted to make people laugh. And mm-hmm. so I found that as an opportunity to do so oh, okay. in this show. Yeah. 
is it, does it also have some kind of personal statement or exploration as well, like that you tried to throw in there? I I love puns, and so <laughs> I mean, I would say that was the biggest part of my personality that was put into it. <laughs> That's got to be freeing to some extent, though, right? Because it's like you're spending time writing these plays that are personal, that are maybe you know expressing you personally in a maybe more serious way, while also trying to be funny. But then it's like with this, you can just sort of blow off some steam, have fun with it, be goofy for once. Yeah. That's got to be like a nice change of pace, right? Yeah, absolutely. You can do whatever you want, which is super nice. And and most of the time, they are open to whatever, which is really great. And so how big is the cast? Um, five people. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so are you also in charge of like casting it then at that point? Do you direct it all with it? Um, You know, they, since it's such a small company, they said, hey, Abby, you can do whatever you want for this. And... um which I really love and I really appreciate. But when they first asked me to write the show, it was in December, uh, no, sorry, November before uh, I graduated. And I said, hey, thank you for like this awesome opportunity of like doing everything, but I really can only focus on writing right now. So um, I, after writing the show, uh, they said, hey, you can come to some creative te- uh, creative team meetings, and if you have any input, you can definitely put it in. And so I did that, um, but I did not take um, a part in the casting or directing process. Was that hard at all? Honestly, no. It was, it was really refreshing to just, like, <laughs> give it to somebody and say, have a good time. Right. Yeah. So then- I'm... Were you involved? Like, did you go to the rehearsals at all? Or like, do you know what's going to happen? No. No? Nope. Are you going to watch it? You're going to sit off to the side and listen. (laughs) No. So um, actually, this is um, this little theater. It's kind of like an immersion theater. Okay. So uh, they serve dinner during it. Uh, They do some poetry, um, sing song, um, all elements of art they like to incorporate into these shows. And so harder for you to hide if it's immersive. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Um, So, uh, yeah, I'll be I'll be buying my ticket and I'll be in there. You don't have to buy a ticket, do you? Well, you You know, you got to support the arts, man. Yeah, You wrote the whole thing. (laughs) Wouldn't exist without you. Well, you know, whatever. Oh, boy. (laughs) So does your husband like theater as much as you do? No. Maybe, maybe not as much. Does he like theater? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, he supports it. Um, like he doesn't seek it out like I do. But mm. I mean, I love attending Opera Omaha and, you know, some of the bigger shows that come here. And he'll, of course, be my date to all right, those yeah. shows. Yeah. Um, but, you know, if these smaller smaller shows come uh he doesn't say hey you want to go to that I'll, I'll be the first one to ask him out on a date usually yeah i find that like people who are really into theater they seem to either like they only are romantically involved with theater people or it's like i don't need two of those people in the house like Ugh. i've got enough yeah enough energy there. <laughs> yeah yeah no we are uh, two completely different personalities <laughs> which is great it works yeah. out beautifully right yeah well so You've got that, uh, the show at the Apollon, and then are, th- are there other shows that you have that are like almost ready to go up or that there's any traction with right now about, or are you just kind of like figuring all that out? Uh, so I am currently working with a couple theaters, I can't really say right now, um, that are in different states that are probably looking at a couple of my 10-minute plays That's to cool. be produced. Yeah. So, I mean, do they do festivals where it's just one-act festivals then? Is oh, that, yeah. Is that kind of what it would look like? Yeah. Or, okay. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, what's the trajectory or something like that? Is it just out there to kind of 
get people to know a little bit who you are and sort of help build some momentum for you? Is it just purely because you wrote this and you like it and you want it to be out there? Or I mean, what what's the what happens with One X? I guess. Uh, so kind of like a combination of everything. Uh, you know, I of course want to get my stuff out there because I want people to hear what I have to say and uh, get the message out there too. Um, it's not so much to get my name out. Um, it's just mostly mostly uh, the things I have to say. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, a one act must be easier to write in general and then easier to get produced to some extent. Yeah, actually it is. Yeah. So I, that's why like Ben and I make shorts still just because it's like we can do it in a day. You know, like we can yeah. throw it out there. It can be out there. We don't have to spend two years of our lives on it. We spend, you know, maybe a few weeks because we have to edit it and everything. But so, I mean, with the stuff you're trying to say right now, I mean, is it personal or like i mean you say social justice how does that manifest in your plays uh so a lot of it is personal it's uh things i believe in Mm -hmm. um and um yeah i mean i I don't know what much much to say about it like um it a lot of it's personal and some of it some of it um have to do with the current political climate sure yeah like i'm not a very political person but i know what i believe in and i know how people should be treated and that's what i like to show people and so i mean like is the idea though that like the people will see the play engage with similar ideas and have a takeaway where maybe they think about some of that in a way that they haven't before or how do you do that in a play how do you explore some of those themes um you try to or at least i try to show like a black and white version of the idea on stage like okay. someone like very for this idea and then someone who's against it, you know, a protagonist and antagonist. Sure. And hopefully the protagonist, you know, wins in the end or the audience thinks they win in the end. And then they leave the, the audience or they leave the theater thinking, hey, yeah, that that is a good point. I believe in that, too. Let is, me go march on that as well. Do you think you approach that a little bit differently coming from small town Iowa than you might if you were in one of the more like the bigger theater hubs of the world? Um. Yeah. Yeah, I do think that. I think I'm a lot more, um, I'm a lot louder than I think other people would be um, in the same, that that come from the same area. Okay. Well, just like about your opinions in general, like you want to be heard more? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am like way on my soapbox, like all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I mean, like, I think that's part of what I was thinking there was uh, talking about some politics that we have in this country. It seems like there are a lot of people in various places where they just don't really want to hear any challenge to their viewpoint in general. And I don't know if like coming from small town, if you have to sort of approach it differently. Like I know coming from Nebraska or coming in from Omaha, the way that like I would engage in political conversations is probably a little bit more sensitive to people I disagree with than if I'd lived people around. Like if I lived in a completely liberal community, it'd be different criticizing the current administration than talking to people in Omaha is. Yeah. I mean, do you find that, does that come through in your writing? Is that something you're conscious of? Is that something you even care about? I mean, yeah, if if I were to go back home to where I'm from, um, yeah, there's a lot of like walking on eggshells with, Mm. um, with politics, but yeah, like when I'm in my plays, I feel like I tiptoe toward the point. And then once I get there, it's just loud. (laughs) <laughs> yeah <laughs> they've already made it there man is that what some yeah. of the one acts are about are they strictly or like are they specifically commenting on the current climate in some way um yeah actually yeah they are which ones are those um so a lot of them are have to do with like 
same-sex marriage. Okay. Yeah, which you know I'm very passionate about. Um, other other shows that I've written have to do with uh, the disabled community and people that have lived with or have developmental and intellectual disabilities, which I'm very passionate about. Well, and that's something where there's just, to my knowledge, even not much of a history of any real attempted representation of that group. No, and thank you for saying that. Well, yeah. I mean, yeah, people have come up to me before and they've talked about like, you know, so what do you think about the lack of like representation of any group really who's not white guys and, you know, whether it's movies or anything. And it's like, I don't know how you can even pretend that it's been inclusive at all in like the history of so much oh of our entertainment. Gosh. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, it's like people don't even think about that really, especially in terms of like uh, if there's somebody with a disability, like you just don't see many attempts to have that portrayal no and like our attempts at trying to be more inclusive are very limited mm -hmm. so like is that something that you would say in what you're trying to produce you're trying to change that and maybe like is that something when you're thinking about what type of story or what type what types of stories you what the cast of characters in your stories might look like is that something you're consciously thinking about yeah absolutely okay so like how does that manifest in your writing then is it something where if a character if you could explore a character who's different than maybe the type of representation we've seen you try to make that the case so it's like a new representation yeah okay. yeah absolutely um yeah i mean i try to be as inclusive as possible and when i'm writing my characters um of course i would like to have all different types of people be able to play those characters mm -hmm. um but it's it's mostly about the message so if i were to have somebody with a certain type of disability in the show um i hope that if that were to get produced um, the director would be very aware of that as well as the cast and crew as well. Sure. Is there pushback on that at all that you've received? As far as being more inclusive, specifically with people with disabilities in plays? Um, no, actually okay. I, it's, uh, it's, um, very, it, it, it's getting more respect. Um, I'm actually working with, uh, the dramatist guild of America on on exploring this idea a little further currently um having um sources for playwrights to create characters with disabilities like what kind of sources would those be like for that for the playwright to be more knowledgeable about what that might look like or yeah okay. so um uh, there's a little backstory to this one sure. so uh when i was in grad school i was um, trying to explore what i wanted to do for my thesis and so since i am passionate about uh people with disabilities, um, et cetera, I wanted to possibly write a show with, you know, someone um, in it. So when I write about something, I research it, just like Downton Abbey, mm -hmm. just like Firefly. And I was starting to read these plays with the characters uh, with disabilities. So like Boys Next Door, The Diviners, um, um, The Curious Case, a curious incident of the dog in the nighttime and I'm reading these shows. I'm like, Oh, Hey, these are great. What else is out there? So I research and I research and there really weren't many plays like that. I'm like, Hmm, I wonder why that is. And so as I was, um, talking to other playwrights and talking to, um, you know, other, other communities, they're like, well, you know, it's kind of like taboo. Like I, I don't know if I want to write about that because I don't know if I know enough about it to write about it. Well, that, that so. probably applies to every single argument about representation ever, right? Oh, yeah. Because like guys always are like, I don't know how to write women, so we can't have any female characters in this. And it, Yeah, and I mean, 
yeah so that's that's why uh like the bechdel test was created Mm -hmm. for men or you know women that wanted to create these women characters but didn't want them to be just background noise right Right. they wanted them to have a purpose and so uh for my thesis i created a similar test just like that uh for characters with disabilities what's that called i called it uh the grandin test named after temple grandin okay yeah Yeah. So what's the test then? Is it the, is it the same rules as the Bechtel test? No. So sort of. It's a little uh, different. There's five questions that have to be answered by the playwright when okay. they're writing the, the their first draft. And then hopefully by the end, they'll hand off their play to somebody else along with the Grandin test and see if they pass. So what, what are the questions? Um, so... A few of them. I'm not going to go into quite too much detail because it's still in the works. But... Okay. Um, um, just like the Bechdel test, are, do these characters have a goal? Do they have through lines? Do they have wants and needs just like any other characters on stage? Um, Is that so like as opposed to them just being there to cause sort of more conflict for other characters and sort of like not, I mean, rather than being having their own arc it's like they just contribute to the arc of others is that yeah. kind of the idea there yeah okay. kind of like uses a prop which is sure. terrible right yeah yeah so um do they do they have a goal um uh were their physical characteristics and a- attributes um applied when writing their character so for instance um there's many different characteristics of people with disabilities and everybody's different right mm-hmm. but some major ones are like hand flapping or echolalia um, um, use of a wheelchair, use of an iPad for talking. Um, so just things like that, things like that. Very basic questions, but sometimes things that you don't really think of maybe when you're writing. Was that, how many questions did we go through there? Was that three? That two? was two. Two of the questions. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what's the third? Okay, third one. Um, so physical attributes and then was uh, intellectual functioning considered when writing? Um, so... So just like physical attributes, how, how do they think? What, what type of disability do they have that generally um, is, a, is a trait to that disability? Okay. Yeah. Just, okay, so to be aware of the way you're writing that character by actually knowing some things. Like if, you're, if that character has some sort of disability, you have to know what the disability is to answer some of these questions as part of why those resources are necessary. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And so, yeah, the point of this test of... Of course, when writing, you, you want to pass it, but really you should research before you begin writing. So let's say you want to write a character with um, a high, a low level uh, autism or low functioning autism, excuse me. Um, you won't just talk to one person. You'll talk to 20 people. You'll talk to 20 family members, um, maybe a group home that they live in, maybe the uh, their doctor, um, any, anybody, you know, not one, not two, any two people are the same. So it's really important to research before you write these characters as well. Right. Yeah. Okay. So what's question four? Um, so was, uh, the family considered when writing the character? Uh, What is the family relationship with the character? Okay. Yeah. And then what's five? Um, five is really important. Um, so was sympathy in, um, 
was sympathy involved when writing your character? So do you want the audience to leave with sympathy for that person or not? And really, you, you don't want to in this case. Like sympathy specifically because they have a disability? Is that the kind? <laughs> yeah. Like the point of writing these characters isn't for an audience to feel sorry for them. Right. Like, oh, no, they have they have CP. I feel so sorry for them. How could they ever like, like function in society? No, you want to see what it's like for that person. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, of course empathy could be involved, but sympathy is, um, not something we would necessarily want for them. Okay. So have there, has there been more of a push than to have better portrayals lately? Have there been good examples? Um, as far as like produce plays? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so the curious incident of the dog in the nighttime is is a very good example, and it's widely produced right now. Um, that character has autism, and in the book as well as the um, the stage play, it was beautifully written, absolutely beautifully written. And the productions that I have seen um, online and in person um, did a fantastic job of researching before they put it on. Have you run into a lot of people who just don't want to do research and so they don't want to have any character who's different from them in what they write? Um, I mean, I know there's writers like that out there. Um, I'm sure they've been produced, but, but I would, probably most people who have been produced feel that way to some extent. Yeah, right? I mean, yeah. whether they're aware of it or not, whether it's a conscious decision. Yeah, absolutely. But you know, it's important. Like if you, if you want something to be put out there and have like the respect you think it deserves, you really got to do the work. Yeah. How much of this, so in terms of having characters who have disabilities, how much should it be something where, like, does that extend to the people playing the, the, the characters should, like, should we try to, should there be an effort, I guess, to have actors who have disabilities play the characters with the disabilities? Is there leeway there? I mean, what's, what would you advocate as far as that goes? Like, I, I absolutely. I think that if there's someone that wants to act, there's someone that wants to portray a character, I think they should be able to do so. And I mean, if there is a person out there that is an actor and wants to play a character that has cerebral palsy, then I think they should definitely do it. Absolutely. If they can do it better than anybody else, right? Well, I assume that goes along with the idea. It's like they should do the research to do a good job with it, right? You don't want it to just be like a terrible uh, representation of it, but... Oh. Yeah. If they're going to put in the work, you think it's like it's not necessarily something people should get upset about if they're trying and doing a good job with it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's something people I know people get confused about some of that now where it's like, is it offensive to even play somebody different from you, let alone write somebody different from you and all that just people shut down instead of trying to learn sort of like what is offending people and what's not offending people yeah. as far as that goes. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what, so as far as the resources you, you said you are currently working or you did work to provide resources to playwrights who want to learn about some of this. So it's currently in the works to okay. get this test out to the public. Um, I had a meeting with the dramatist guild of America a couple of weeks ago and they were, uh, giving these questions to their, um, their committee uh, to see if it could maybe get published or be put out into the general public right now. So. And so with the goal, then that just becomes as well known as the Bechtel test. It's something a lot of people apply to their own writing or to plays that they're seeing. Yeah, exactly. So um, yeah, I just want more resources to be um, available to playwrights 
you know, there's not a ton out there right now. Of course, there's books, there's college, there's, you know, people to talk to. But an actual test like this isn't really readily available right now. Well, that's cool. I hope that gets out there sometime Thank soon. Thank you. Yeah, I that's exciting. Too. Thank you. Um, and so now we're at the end here. So we should go back to rumors in the kitchen really quick yes. here. So where can people find more about it? When are tickets available or are they, if they're available now, where can people go buy them? Uh, so you can purchase tickets online on Apollon's website. You can follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, you know, regular social media. And then, uh, if you have me on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, um, we're all putting it out there too. And where can people follow you and your writing? Oh, well, uh, I have a website, abigailcklil.com. Uh, I also have a little bit of information on my editing website, ackleyediting.com. Okay, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for being on yeah, the show. Yeah, thank you. Riverside Chance is hosted by me, Tom Noblar. I produce the show along with Ben Matukowitz through our company, Exarvin Creative. The show is also co-produced by Benson First Friday. Check out everything we're doing at exarbincreative.com or bensonfirstfriday.com. Support local. Go to local places. Do the local thing. That's what the whole show's about. We're here to help. And we'll be back next week with another great local guest, Danny Machado, who is directing the movie Chit. More details next week. Stay tuned. Leave us a review. Subscribe on whatever your favorite podcast app is. And thank you so much for listening.